Here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all about you. Yeah. So many days. In so many ways. I took for granted.
Hello, hello, hello. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be within the sound of my voice. This is Evangelist Minister Robin Lynn, and I am here coming to you from Gospel Music Explosion. Yes, and we want to give a shout out to the good folks that I am streaming for making it all possible, and a special shout out to the Hilltop Radio Show. Hey, how y'all doing? Today we're talking about the we're talking about John chapter four, verses one through nine, the living water, the woman at the well. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go through the scripture. Then I'm gonna come back and break it down. Okay? First let us pray. Father God, we thank you because all wisdom comes from above. Father God, let us have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to obey what is your good and perfect will and that we receive it through your word. Father God, <laughs> all wisdom comes from above. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's get right in. Grab your Bibles, if you will, so you can come along with me. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 29. Now, Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village, village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there, and Jesus, worn out, tired by the trip, sat down at the well, and it was noon. A woman, a Samaritan woman, came to draw water, and Jesus spoke to her, and he said, Would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone into the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, she's taken aback, and she asks, How come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God, and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons, 
and livestock and passed it down to us? Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty over and over again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. Okay? The woman said, <laughs> Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty. Won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, Go call your husband and then come back. I, I have no husband, she said. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. So you spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain. But you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman. The time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. God is a sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about all that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. And when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. And just then the disciples came back. And they were shocked. They could not believe that he was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. <laughs> the woman took the hint and she left, but in her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, come and see a man who, who knew all about all the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? All right, now, let's break it down. There was a scandal of Jesus' extended conversation with a Samaritan woman. Okay? And we, this should not be underestimated. The reason the disciples are so surprised to find the two talking in broad daylight when they come back from their grocery run well, for one thing, 
Jews and Samaritans rarely had anything to do with one another. For another thing, and this appears to, to be even more upsetting to the disciples, is the fact that she's a she. A Jewish man was not supposed to be seen speaking in public with a woman. It was not done. Yet, the longest conversation that Jesus will have with anyone in all of John's gospel is precisely with this not-Jewish non-male. It's pretty shocking stuff. And the woman herself, she's clearly surprised as anyone when she says to Jesus, why are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. So, what we want to notice is how very interested that Jesus is in this marginalized person, this outsider, this woman entirely without power or privilege. In all four of the Gospels, when we look for Jesus, we often find him among those snubbed by the rest of polite society. He's over there with the tax collectors. He's over there with the prostitutes. He's over there with people with broken bodies. He's in the middle of people with deeply disturbed spirits, people who have lost their minds. In fact, in both of the Testaments, throughout both of the Testaments, you'll find God's saving work directed towards the underdogs of the world, the little brothers, the tiny nations, the slaves, and exiles. The disciples, they haven't known Jesus for very long at this point, but they already seem to know enough not to voice their question out loud. Okay? They're all thinking, man, what in your mind could possibly possess you to talk to her? Okay? Now, their, their objections reflect the cultural conventions of their day. But what they will witness again and again, again and again, as they follow their teacher around, will knock those conventions on their heads. As Jesus crosses over long-established human boundaries to make the grace of God available to all, everyone, Okay, so this, it, it speaks powerfully to those who feel like outsiders themselves, those that the world doesn't particularly respect, those who fear that they've got nothing to offer or fear that what they might offer won't ever be accepted. Jesus refuses to entertain any other prejudices that underlie those fears. Jesus promises to take every child of God seriously and to extend God's grace equally to each one. That being said, it's important for congregations to be honest with, with, with themselves about where they fit into this kind of scenario. When we talk about 
the scandal of Jesus reaching out to marginalized members of society, let's be clear about the fact that many of us, we're not. But some of us are women. And even today in the United States, that means that we are not universally acknowledged to be the equals of men. Some may not particularly be in positions of great power, but on the whole, many of us do stand amongst the powerful and the privileged. Many of us, whether or not we're amongst the richest members of American society, we have more money than the vast majority of our world's, the whole world's population they could ever dream of. Most of us own a car. Most of us live in nice, in, in nice apartments and homes. Some of us, we take showers in rooms that would sleep three or four people in some parts of the world. We're leaders in the church and in our communities. We have a voice and a vote in the decisions that affect our lives from congregational meetings to PTA meetings in our schools to polls on election day. We really don't know what it is to be marginalized in the way that the Samaritan woman was where she was an outsider. We are the insiders. So I think we would do well to ask ourselves periodically who the real outsiders are in our society. Who would Jesus' scandalous partner, conversation partners be in the 21st century? Who would he likely, who would he be likely to hang out with Say in Seattle, say in Atlanta, say in New York, say in London, say in Africa, that we don't. Many, again, Jesus refuses to entertain any of our prejudices about who is worthy of God's grace and who isn't. Let's go back to the Samaritan woman story as it continues to unfold, okay? Now around, in chapter 4, now around verse 16, Jesus says to her, go and call your husband and come back. And the woman answers him, I I ain't got no husband. (laughs) And Jesus, he tells her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. Now, if we were to look at the vast majorities of commentaries and sermons on this passage, we'd come away convinced that this woman is a member of Hollywood's Husband of the Month Club. And we'd probably figure that she knows how to love them and leave them. Therefore, and that therefore Jesus... He's here calling her on the carpet for her sin. But none of this, none of this is in the text, actually. Okay? 
it would be wise for us to sweep all of that away and instead to keep clearly in view what we know of women's rights or lack of in ancient Israel. Many people assume, for instance, that this woman, that this woman has been divorced five times, although, again, divorce, it's not mentioned in the story. But even if she were a five-time divorcee, remember that divorce was exclusively a male privilege in that day. So if it was a case of love them and leave them, she was the one being loved and left. The other possibility is that she was a widow trapped in the custom of the Leverite marriage, an Israelite tradition in which her first husband's brothers would be required to marry her each in turn after her husband's death. And as for the one that she's with now, that isn't even her husband, it's possible that she's finally given up on the whole marriage idea and is now simply with living with someone she loves. But it's more plausible, given what we know of that culture, that whatever man she's with simply won't give her the dignity or security of marrying her because it was a man's right not a woman in order with what God says a man who finds a wife shall find a wife and find, uh, find a good thing and obtain the favor of God blah well going on significantly the reasons for the woman's marital history intrigue commentators but they don't seem to concern Jesus nor does Jesus pass moral judgment on the woman because of her marital history or her status all judgments are imported into whatever Bibles or whatever text you're reading by their interpreters okay you me scholars right there okay let's go on what Jesus seems to do rather is name her wound then he identifies himself as the healer of wounds <laughs> and the giver of life. Hallelujah. Behind the labels, Samaritan, woman, divorced, widowed, Jesus sees the brokenness of the person. We know about labels, we know about brokenness, and we know how the one can often hide the other. The overachiever, who secretly suffers from panic attacks, the successful businesswoman who's an alcoholic, the independent widower who volunteers at every every event that he can, but he's lonelier than we could ever think possible, everyone's favorite couple, the life of every party, but when they get home, they can't even remember what they saw in, e in each other. The super mom, where all the kids seem to gravitate around, mm-hmm. But she lies awake at night 
paralyzed with fear of what the doctor is going to tell her when she goes back for a second mammogram. Labels can be derogatory or they can be flattering. Either way, they can be misleading. But as the woman at the well discovered, Jesus cuts right through these labels and finds us where we really are. Maybe we're frightened. Maybe we're excited. Maybe we're disappointed. Perhaps we're deeply content. Or like the Samaritan woman broken. Either because we have sinned ourselves or because we have been sinned against. The promise of today's text is that the one who knows and names our wounds not only accepts us, however flawed or broken we may be, but also equips us for the good work of proclaiming God's love in the world. When the Samaritan woman, when she ran home to share her news with friends and neighbors, it wasn't to tell them that her social status had suddenly changed for the better. She was still an outsider, still a woman who'd been married to five men. But she had just met someone unlike anyone she'd ever known, someone who knew her better than she'd ever met. So, she dropped her water jar and ran back into town with an invitation and a question. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? We're not talking here about quick fixes. But any time Jesus speaks to us, touches us, begins to heal a wound, or offers a gift of living water, satisfying our needs in parched places, there's a story to tell. Whenever a broken spirit feels itself being mended even a little, that's something we're celebrating. And when we meet the one who can tell us everything we've ever done and tell it in such a way that we feel valued, and honor in the process, that's something that we want to share. The Samaritan woman's words of invitation are so simple. Really, come and see. Come and see the one who would rather create a scandal than have anyone feel unwelcome in God's kingdom. Come and see the one who sees the person behind the label. Come and see the one who breaks through boundaries to touch our wounds. Come and see the one who calls us into genuine, honest relationship with the living God. Come and see the one whose well holds living water for all of the parched places in our lives. He cannot be the Messiah. (laughs) Can he? Wow. So, We thank God from whom all blessings from above come from. And uh, we just thank God for his wisdom. I pray that you are enlightened and empowered and blessed. Stay strong. 
This is the Minister Evangelist Robin Lynn signing out. Stay strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. God bless everyone.
thing you've done in my life. I say thank you. I shall say thank you Oh, thank you Thank you Just want to say Thank you 